The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. When and where did the Holmes begin using cocaine, and do you have any idea why? For as long as I've known him, he's used it. I believe he began by taking it between cases to relieve the ennui, a 7% solution. To relieve the ennui, the boredom? How did you become interested in the drug? It's a sideline of mine, not directly connected with my researches. A friend of mine died last year, so as a result of its horrible properties, I was partly responsible. I wrote a paper on it afterwards. That's the piece I chanced upon in the Lancet? Yeah. You're mainly involved in research, then? I was trained as a neuropathologist with a background in localized diagnosis, but there is no formal designation for what I am now. I began by mapping the nervous system, but I became interested in charting the mind itself. I'm interested in an area of the brain I call the unconscious. The unconscious? You're an alienist. I am interested in hysterical cases, and I use hypnosis to dig into their unconscious mind where I believe the hysterical symptoms originate. For example, Herr Holmes' dependency on cocaine strikes me as a symptom. Not a hysterical one, I grant you, but nevertheless, a symptom, an effect rather than a cause. What makes you say that? Well, it's elementary, my dear fellow. Knowing something as I do about drugs and drug addiction, I do not believe that a man succumbs to the negative appeal out of mere boredom. Good morning, London. It is Thursday, November 7th, 2013. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we'll be with you from now till noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And welcome once again to the show today, where 519-661-3600 is the number you can call to reach us or write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org to let us know your opinions, comments, and perhaps suggestions on things you might want to hear discussed on future shows. Now, Robert Vaughn's away today, so it looks like I'll be sailing the ship on my own between now and noon. And I guess after you heard our opener from the movie The 7% Solution, I'll give you three guesses as to what the major theme of our show today is going to be. One of them will probably be just right. <laughs> you know, I feel a little bit odd hopping on the, you know, the talk shows all about Rob, Rob Ford, the whole talk show bandwagon. But the Ford parade never seems to stop. And as far as I'm concerned, he's not at the front of it, but somewhere in the middle or maybe even to the rear of that parade. It's not about Ford at all, but about the whole way this situation has shaped out and the public's reactions to it. And that alone, I think, is worth the price of admission. So is, is it Ford Nation, or is it Ford Resignation? Or are you just <laughs> resigned to the whole affair? You know what I mean? That's going to be something we'll be talking about a little more in detail just in a few minutes. And yes, there are other very important issues in the news. And make no mistake, um, the latest murder at the Elgin Middlesex Detention Center has not escaped my attention. Uh, not one of our major topics today, but I do have one observation to make before we put the topic on the back burner for a future show. 
Now, of course, regular listeners may recall that we already had London lawyer Kevin Egan and a couple of ex-detainees from the EMDC in our studios here last, last year. That was in June of 2012. Show number 255 online if you want to check it out. Now, I just have one big question for you to consider about the whole unspeakably disgusting situation at the EMDC there. Three of the EMDC inmates have apparently been charged with the death of Adam Harvey Cargus, who was serving about three months for using fake ID to get tax refunds and cell phones, and he got, you know, three months, so. Now consider the position of the three accused and how they find themselves now, what, what situation they're in. I mean, they're in a lot of trouble because if convicted of their crime of murder, they could end up in a place like, well, the EMDC, right? <laughs> Imagine the consequences. Or maybe they've just won their prize out of the EMDC into another jail that could have even better conditions than the EMDC. In which case, wouldn't we be rewarding them for their murder? You know, it's kind of a catch-22 once you're in the jail. What do you, what's, what's the, and you don't have death sentences. What's the next penalty that you can give to somebody before before you can you know, go to the next level. Now, if what I found very odd was in the paper, the Free Press points out, quote, Cargus, the victim, was no angel, notes the front page London Free Press article on Monday. He had a record for drug possession. And in 2012, he was convicted of stealing $8 in vegetables. Vegetables, that's weird. So his death wasn't completely undeserved then, right? Is that what they're trying to say? Why would they bring that kind of a thing up? That's just so wrong to me. What is wrong with this picture, you know? Drugs, vegetables, cell phones, and murder. I have a feeling Robert and I will probably be trying to answer that question on an upcoming broadcast of the show. Now, just another couple of stories I was keeping an eye out on that, that just caught my attention that I thought were, well, interesting to take a look at in, on future shows, too. I call one Gold Gate and the other one Chocolate Gate. <laughs> you heard about that one? Apparently, London West um, MP or candidate for the for the Conservatives in the last um, London West by-election, Ali Chabar, has been uh, had a complaint filed against these chocolate coins that they handed out. That apparently, uh, you know, they're just chocolate coins with the wrappers on them. But apparently, what was missing on the wrappers was. Um, the thing that says authorized by the London West um, PC Association or whatever it has to say, <laughs> and this is becoming a, a big deal. I'll tell, I, first of all, I don't think the interpretation of the law was correct in that case because it's something I have to deal with all the time. But it'll be an interesting one to see where that goes because so many of uh, Elections Ontario's rules and regulations are there more for show than for actual enforcement although uh, so many of them have never been enforced, uh, and thank goodness, because a lot of them deal with regulations that are kind of unenforceable. Now, another tiny issue that caught my attention, speaking of uh, Chocolate Gate, was, was Gold Gate. Now, I don't know much about this, but I want to look into this for a future show. Um, my, my sister actually brought this to my attention, and I don't know if you've been listening, but there's been all this fuss. Did you hear that... Um, Germany has been complaining about the U.S. Apparently they have been um, 
you know, tapping into Angela Merkel's phone for various reasons. And then suddenly, this has become newsworthy. Everybody says, well, this has been going on for years, and so all of a sudden it becomes newsworthy. And I start thinking of, well, yes, minister clips, and yes, minister show where, boy, if you want to see how the workings, be, the machinations behind the scenes go, that is the place to go. And um, I just wonder why suddenly does this routine activity, which would probably be routine to a certain degree, suddenly get into the news? What's going on? Well, my sister sent me an interesting uh, video clip through Facebook, and I, it was about Germany, apparently asking for, to see its gold that's being held in Fort Knox. And they won't show it to them because it seems like they don't have it there. And there it's been kept in safekeeping, apparently since just after World War II or perhaps just before. And, uh, you know, this sounds so much like something that Ted Wernham, our guest last week, was talking about uh, in terms of how the, uh, you know, the U.S. is in so much trouble and that they're heading for a bit of a catastrophe. And who knows that uh, if this is part of it, they actually don't have the gold reserves that they need in their stocks to honor a lot of their commitments. So I don't know how that's going to affect their ability uh, to trade. But uh, anyways, that's an interesting thing. But right now, joining me on the line, and only briefly for now, because he happens to be scheduled as one of our in-studio guests for the full hour on Just Right Next Week, I understand we have Gary McHale, author of Victory in the No-Go Zone, Winning the Fight Against Two-Tier Policing, with a foreword by Christy Blatchford, published by Freedom Press. Gary, are you there? Yes, uh, thanks for having me on. No problem. I understand you have an event coming up in the city next week. Uh, yeah, we actually have a book signing uh, next uh, Thursday uh, from uh, 4 to, to uh, 6 Yes, at the uh, Chapters on uh, Wellington Road. That's at 1037 Wellington Road, uh, for those who aren't too sure, and that's between 4 and 6 next week. That's a good time, actually, because it's, uh, it's a good drive-by time for as far as people coming home after work and things like that, too. Yep. Just to and drop I'll by. be there, and people can uh, speak to me, and uh, I'll sign books uh, for anybody who wants one. Now, uh, now, Gary, I wanted to thank you for providing me with an autographed copy of the book, and, I, and in your autograph you wrote, Freedom Isn't Free, and I imagine this book is in many ways an account of the price that many among us are willing to pay or are forced to pay simply to maintain their individual freedom. Can you give people just a quick, uh, a quick sort of a summary of what the book really focuses on so they know what, what they're dealing with here? Yeah, well, Christy Blasford did a great job in her book, Helpless, talking about uh, how the, uh, the, the race-based policing affected v uh, various families in Caledonia. What my book really focuses on what is what the OPP are saying in their emails and what uh, uh, government lawyers are saying in various courtrooms so that the public can really understand how much, how far down the road the government has gone to corrupt their justice system, where various police officers and government lawyers know full well they are targeting people who they know committed no crimes. And the reason they're targeting them is to appease the native radicals. And we should be appalled by this because, you know, Canadians think that freedom is inherent to Canada. But it's always in jeopardy, and we've got to stand up for it. And that's why I say freedom isn't free. Someone has to pay a price. And uh, at this time of year, we remember our, our vets. Well, they paid the price for our freedom. But we have to continue to fight every generation has to confront the injustice of our society. 
I agree. You know, it always seems to be that the few pay the price for the many. Maybe that's just the way the equation works. But, uh, Gary, we're going to look forward to hearing you on the show next week. I think it's going to be an exciting one. So make sure, everyone, that you tune in next week for Just Right, as Gary and a few other guests will be in the studio. And I think it's going to be a real hot one. i got some good questions for, for you. I've already read most of the book. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Gary. We'll see you next week. Yep, bye. Now, isn't that, that, that's, that should be interesting. Again, that's at uh, Chapters London next week between uh, 4 and 6 p.m., just around the supper time, 1037 Wellington Road. Yeah, Gary will be there for a book signing. Uh, you know, it's interesting that Christy Blatchford should have been uh, the one to write the foreword to Gary McHale's book because hers is the first commentary I'd like to kick off our adventure into the Ford controversy today. And uh, back in November 24, 2012, she wrote an article called with the, with the headline, Why I Once Voted for Authenticity in the National Post. And, and its subheading says, Flaws aside, Ford has been the real deal on trial. Now, Blatchford was covering the Ford trial, if you recall, in which he was accused of a conflict of interest for using the mayor's stationary letterhead to mail a fundraiser for a kid's football team. Remember that one? Ford was vindicated in the end, but for him, it was just the beginning or maybe the middle, I don't know. Upon observing Ford in court for the first time, Blatchford, who actually said she voted for him and said that after reading about uh, you know, the Pride Parade scandal, etc., that I pretty quickly forgot why I ever voted for him, she says. But that week in court, quote, and this is her talking now, refreshed my memory, as the lawyers say. It was never that I loved Mr. Ford, either the detail of his politics or who he is particularly. Rather, I liked who he wasn't. He wasn't David Miller, his pretty boy predecessor. He wasn't the late Jack Layton. He wasn't Sandra Busson, the former counselor. He wasn't Olivia Chow, another former counselor. Mr. Layton's widow, who may yet return to run for the mayoralty, but if, only, of course, if the people, quote-unquote, demand it. Mr. Ford wasn't a part of that soft left ruling class, which during my time at City Hall in the mid-1990s ran the show and appears to still. He wasn't an earnest subscriber to the conventions of downtown city politics, with its sure convictions about what we believe in. Mr. Ford is surely deeply flawed. Well, so are most of us. Me, anyway, she writes. But to use a modern term, he is also authentic. Watching him being cross-examined by Mr. Schiller and Kaplan, who once used the word lacuna in his closing submission, that's L-A-C-U-N-A, I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing it right, then for the rest of us, not so smart as he is, added helpfully, that gap, quote, was a brilliant reminder of why once upon a time I marked an X by Rob Ford's name. I actually had to go in the dictionary to find out what that word actually did mean. And there it is, lacuna, or, or lacuna, I guess. Space where something has been omitted or has come out. A gap. A hiatus. And that's out of Webster's Dictionary. Well, of course, that was before the great admission, before the ad omitted gap had finally been filled in, that Ford did indeed use crack cocaine. And, uh, you know, I have to give... Sun TV's Brian Lilly, uh, two thumbs up for his really fair assessment of the Ford situation. And it aired only hours after the story broke. It sounded like something he had written and had polished off for quite a while. I don't know, I don't know if he was ready for this and just waiting to pull it out. So let's listen into that commentary now. And we shall return on the other side to consider whether Ford should or should not resign, at least based on what we know to date.
He smoked crack and he wants forgiveness. That is the topic of tonight's byline. Today for Rob Cor Ford, it was mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. It's an old Latin phrase meaning my fault, my fault, my most grievous fault. And today, Rob Ford did what was probably the most difficult thing he's ever done. The mayor of Toronto admitted he has smoked crack. Yes, I have smoked crack cocaine. When, but sir? no, do I? Am I an addict? No. Ford took questions from reporters after the admission and said he didn't lie when he was questioned about this in the past. Have I tried it? Um, probably in one of my drunken stupors, probably approximately about a year ago. So I, I wasn't lying. You didn't ask the correct questions. No, I'm not an addict. How many yes, I've made, mis I've made mistakes. I, all I can do now is apologize and move on. Ford said he was asked, do you smoke crack, not did you? We'll see if that turns out to be the case. But Ford says he hasn't talked to the Toronto police because he thinks there's a problem with the way they have investigated him and there's a problem with the chief. In fact, earlier today, Ford's brother Doug called for Chief Bill Blair to step down. We have the most political police chief I've ever seen. The police chief believes he's the judge, the jury, and the executioner. In my opinion, this creates a bias towards the mayor. This compromises the, the chief. To the Fords, Bill Blair is acting in a very political way on a very sensitive story. To that end, Rob Ford called for the tape to be released, saying he can't remember the incident, he can't remember the tape, and he wants the whole city to see the tape. There's been times when I've been in a drunken stupor. That's why I want to see the tape. I want everyone in the city to see this tape. I'd like to see this tape. I don't even recall there being a tape or a video, and I know that. So I want to see the state that I was in. Two incredible news conferences, and it wasn't done yet for the day. So let's get to the big question here. Should Rob Ford have to resign as mayor of Toronto, as so many have called for? I'm not sold on that idea. I may not live in Toronto, but I can see how the city's doing, the direction it's taking, and I stand by what I said months ago. A Toronto run by Rob Ford on crack is better off than Toronto run by a sober David Miller or Olivia Chow, for that matter, if she were to win in the future. Ford's problems with drugs and alcohol have overshadowed the good thing he's done for the city, including controlling costs that were spiraling out of control. Now, I'll also point out, it was more than 20 years ago that the United States elected Bill Clinton after he admitted, yeah, I smoked pot. Last year, the U.S. elected Barack Obama to a second term. He smoked pot in his past and he snorted cocaine. He was still re-elected and he's very much loved, including by progressives in this country. Closer to home, Justin Trudeau admitted to using illegal drugs while he was a sitting MP. His mother used to smoke up at 24 Sussex Drive. Trudeau's lauded for his stance on drugs when he admits to smoking pot and calls for legalization. He's hardly criticized for smoking up by the same people now calling for Ford to resign. None of this is setting a good example, but these are the facts. If, in fact, there's a good chance that Trudeau will become prime minister in 2015, you have to question, why isn't his drug use coming up, his illegal drug use? Is it a good thing that Rob Ford smoked crack? No. Is it a good thing that he has a drinking problem? Absolutely not. Should he be forced out? No. Why? 
because Ford has apologized. He's asked for forgiveness and a second chance. He's promised to look after this, to fix it. I believe in second chances. So if Ford stays true to his promise to fix things, then I think voters will stay with him in Toronto's next election. If he fails to get help, if he fails to change, then they will throw him out. But all those things, all those people calling for Ford to be booted, ask yourself, are you demanding the same thing for Trudeau, who has admitted to breaking the law multiple times? No, they're not. It's time for Ford to get that second chance. And that's the byline. Good for Brian Lilly. Uh, very, very consistent and principled point of view, I thought. And I couldn't believe it when he said a Toronto run by Rob Ford on crack is better off than a Toronto run by a sober David Miller. Well, I want, I want you to remember that sentiment throughout the show because it's one I share in a way, but it does speak to the central values that are at conflict in the center of this whole issue. Uh, I'm not sure I particularly go along with the whole forgiveness and second chance argument myself because I don't really think it should have to apply in this particular situation and that the things we're being encouraged to forgive Ford for all seem to relate to his personal lifestyle and issues, and of course bringing them into public, so Ford should just do these things in private, and there probably would never have been a problem. We'd still be sitting here speculating. Now, I understand we have uh, caller Scott online. Is that correct? Hello, Scott. Hi, Bob. Um, great topic, and that was a great Brian Milley clip as well. Um, I just wanted to commend you for your call into Andy Udman's show yesterday. I think you were right on the money. And uh, I, I really appreciate how you you call into Andy Udman and shows like that and, and sort of put them on check because, for one thing, I can't stand Andy Udman. I think he's a bully and he just drives up hypotheticals to get ratings and, and fan um, listener reaction. But anyway, the whole Rob Ford thing, I, I totally agree with Brian Lilly. Why isn't anybody asking Justin Trudeau about his drug use or, or anybody else that's admitted to smoking pot? Um, I think that Rob Ford, uh, although, you know, his drinking problem um, and the fact that he had smoked crack, probably unknowingly to him, because what I see is, yes, there's a video, but you, people have to ask, why is there a video? And to me, I think what's happened is someone has taken advantage of his drunken super, handed him a pipe, didn't know that it was crack cocaine, forgot about it because he was drunk, and then, you know, in May, all this started blowing up in his face. So the only reason why people think are making a huge deal about this in Toronto is because it is Rob Ford. They don't like what he's doing because he is taking care of the waste and, and um, the spending that's in Toronto. So I just wanted to thank you for calling well, into it yesterday. And well, thank you, Scott. Uh, I appreciate that. You know, sometimes I, I feel like I do have to call in occasionally when I hear things that are just rubbing me the wrong way. Now, I like Andy Utman. I think Andy Utman, we agree a lot, you know, but we also disagree a lot. It's not, it's not a cut and dry thing in that type of thing. But it's interesting you should bring that up because listening to Andy Utman yesterday, who seemed completely off the mark on this one, I thought going so far as for a call for some you know, for some sort of recall of Rob Ford from his position as mayor. And I had to call in and actually express my difference of opinion with him. Uh, democracy, apparently, is being threatened if Rob Ford stays in office, according to Andy. So, uh, you know, expect protests and resignations from others who share that view, trying to make the same point within Toronto's political community. But I think it's quite the opposite. I think it's precisely because we live in a democracy that Ford cannot and should not be removed. You know, here's a clear case of the right of the individual against the scourge of the mob. 
democracy versus majority rule. You know, he, he, we're all equal under the gov uh, under the law. Supposedly, we all have the same protections. We all have to be subject, you know, presumed innocent before guilty. All those kinds of things, and the very idea, you know, majority rule, really, rule. <laughs> Nobody rules in a democracy. In a democracy, people are governed, and they govern themselves under the same consistent set of rules and all with the same rights. Now. Just to review what Andy did say yesterday on Ford, and I had to quote this part because I really, this is the part that got to me. He said, quote, I'm feeling sadness, anger, and determination. We're dealing with politicians who are more human than we ever bargained for. Hmm, wonder what species he was counting on. Rob Ford, he writes, or he says, is a sick, sick man, narcissistic, out of control, egotistical, alcoholic, and substance abusing, compulsive, lying bully. He must resign. How can we get him help? Funny how he always wants to help. They want to help these guys, right? He's dangerous. He's endangering his family, his children, his beloved drug, uh, brother Doug, who he threw under a streetcar, endangering the city of Toronto. He must resign. And, you know, the way he said it, it sounded like throwing Doug under the streetcar endangered the city somehow. <laughs> yes, it's all just hyperbole. And he says, again, I ask, how do we get him out of office? Drunken stupors and the use of crack cocaine are just the tip of the iceberg. He hangs with gangs, drug runners, and every imaginable crime element. How do we get him out of office? How do we get rid of bad apples? We have to get him out of there. Ah, you know. So, he admits that Rob Ford is sick. Therefore, he should be kicked out of office, right? So, if Rob Ford had instead turned around and not said, well, I smoke crack, but said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm afraid to admit, but I have cancer would, oh, that's being sick, that's a disease. Is that the way you respond to a disease? Should we all, would we all be screaming, well, let's get them out of there? Because we don't believe for a minute that using crack cocaine or any kind of drug is a disease. Nobody really believes that, even if they say it out loud and scream out loud and want to help you, help you, help you. They don't want to help you. They want to impose their values on somebody else, and they don't, they're, they're, the, the whole issue of drugs is so misunderstood. That's part of what I want to talk about a little later on, too. But Udman's colorful description of Ford was at complete and total odds with that presented by Sun TV's Ezra Levant yesterday. Don't have a clip from that today, but uh, I could have played that whole thing. It was so excellent. Just check it out online. The segment is called Media Party Bias. And you can learn all about all of the politicians publicly you know, no known for their drug use, from George Smitherman's use of crack to John A. McDonald's issues with substance abuse. You know, today, today's media has changed a lot since even I entered the political arena. I remember the first time I ever ran as a candidate back in the 70s federally, not for the Freedom Party, another party. I recall sitting on the podium in front of the audience and the, the liberal candidate sitting beside me smelled kind of, of alcohol. And everyone else could smell it too, but nobody said a thing. Least of all, the media. And I remember thinking, after learning about all of the other drug and alcohol habits known among various political players, how amazing it was that no one was using that information to attack their opponents. Well, what a difference it is today. It's still the same for the left, but not for anyone on the right, and that's the interesting thing. And then on the show, on Andy Utman's show, there was a caller named Gord, a long-time familiar voice. I remember his voice going back to the days of left, right, and center. And he, he, he uh, called in and said, and I quote here, I try not to be a slave to ideology, and listening to Bob Metz, people on the right side and people on the left side will defend their guy, regardless of what has happened. And that's kind of what's wrong with politics. It doesn't matter what they do, they'll defend their guy regardless. If Rob Ford was a lefty, Metz would be all over him. If Rob Ford were uh, uh, 
uh, a lefty, Megan Walker, would be defending him, right? So that's what he kind of said. And I said, well, first, you know, Rob Ford, let's face it, is not my guy. I don't know Rob Ford from anybody else or from Gord the Caller. I'm simply responding to the circumstances that I see and hear right in front of me. And yes, I'm a slave to the ideology of justice and of democracy. What's wrong with politics, I think, is people like Gord who think that consistent ideologies are the problem when it's inconsistent and contradictory thinking that is the problem. And, uh, you know, regardless, would I defend Rob Ford regardless of anything he did? So if Rob Ford assaulted or murdered somebody, I would support that. Abra, right, Gord? Is that what you're thinking? Um, I think Gord's comment was really more of an ad hominem attack on my ideology and thus me, especially in light of the fact that he knows very well that that's not true, never has been. He's a regular listener on, of Left, Right, and Center for years, as well as many other open-line talk shows where he's heard me more than enough to know that I don't side with personalities, but with what I think is the right thing to do. And uh, if you listen to this show, we've, we've defended both Trudeaus, the, the senior and the junior Trudeau, depending on the particular issue. Might not like their overall philosophies, but when I see someone being attacked unfairly, I don't care where he sits on the spectrum. That just does not matter to me. Injustice is injustice. And if I want it for myself, is it not consistent to want it for everyone else? Isn't that, isn't that the whole idea? I think that's the message that's being lost in this whole... Uh, ridiculous situation with the way people think what we have is democracy, you know. And uh, the fact that he also brought up Make Megan Walker's name just out of the blue seems to confirm that, you know, he might have listened to the last show we had here on, on CHRW regarding Rob Ford uh, when we dealt with uh, her unjust ad hominem attack on Ford back then, which was joined in, by the way, by Andy Ootman. You can check it out for yourself. It's the Assgate episode this past March 14th, show 291, if you want to uh, get that online. And, uh, of course, if, if, if I were just, you know, supporting people I agree with or, or who are, quote, right-wing, I wouldn't have been opposing Andy in the first place, would I? Because people see him as kind of right-wing. And I very much like and have a good on-air relationship with Andy, but I just wasn't on his side on this issue. So I guess the message is, get out the crack pipes. Apparently this is the road to better governance, though I kid, of course. But after listening to endless ill-informed opinions about drugs and alcohol and ongoing ad hominem attacks against the mayor, it's hard not to notice the double standards, the triple standards, the quadruple standards, the no standards at all, and, and the hypocrisy just oozing out all over the place. It's just yuck. I can't, it's hard to even go near the muck. So when we return on the other side of our halftime break here, we shall take a quick look at the three elephants in the room with regard to this controversy. Drug prohibition, drug addiction, and drug use. And that's why I thought this following very, very clever musical interpretation of differing drugs was very clever, actually, maybe, maybe unintentionally. It was as clever as it was funny, and this is uh, from the Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson. So let's take a break for a smile and a few messages, and we shall return after this. <laughs> and not a great day for another Canadian of a completely different sort, uh, Rob Ford, the mayor of Toronto, who is under a lot of pressure to quit because the Toronto police have a video of him smoking crack. <laughs> Yeah, that's our crack-smoking music. <laughs> yeah. Man, it's kind of good. 
What if I was smoking crack? We've got a lot of different music for different drugs. What if the mayor of Toronto was videotaped taking ecstasy? <laughs> what if the mayor of Toronto took meth? <laughs> That's my best guess. I never took meth. Um, what about uh, heroin? <laughs> you clearly never took heroin. Is that hell? Is that my little heroin pony or something? <laughs> yeah, the secret underworld underworld of the heroin addict. Uh, what about LSD? Do we have music for LSD? Perfect, nailed yeah. it. All right. Uh, so, anyway, uh, Mayor Ford. Mayor Ford denies that he smoked crack, but please say the video clearly shows him smoking from a glass pipe. I guess he could have been smoking marijuana. Sounded marijuana until that little Price is Right bit at the end. What if he was smoking marijuana? I think that's, uh, that's when the police show up. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Holmes and I had been sharing rooms in Baker Street for some years. My practice had caused me to be absent in the country for several days. As usual, after leaving Holmes for any length of time, I returned filled with apprehension as to his mood. Oh, oh hello, Mrs. Hudson. Dr. Watson. Just take this coat and your hat. Yes. See that they're properly dry. Mrs. Hudson, I haven't eaten all day. Do hope supper will be up very soon. That's very doubtful. I don't know what's come over, Mr. Holmes. He seems to be all on edge. I'm not to bring up supper until I'm called. Those are his orders. Thank you, Mrs. Hudson. My dear Holmes, what is it tonight? Morphine or cocaine? Well, I can strongly recommend a 7% solution of cocaine. Would you care to try it? No, indeed. I speak not only as your friend, but as a medical man. How can you risk such damage to the great powers with which you have been endowed? I cannot tell you how it clarifies and stimulates the mind. Yes, and destroys it in time. My mind rebels at stagnation. Give me problems. Give me work. Give me the most abstruse cryptogram, the most intricate analysis, and I'm in my proper atmosphere. Then I can dispense with artificial stimulants. 
but I abhor the dull routine of existence. I crave mental exaltation. And that was your late, great Jeremy Brett, the best of all the Sherlock Holmes in my book. Although I enjoyed a lot of the Sherlock Holmes movies, and of course one of the interesting things about that character was his drug use. And that was one of the issues that really struck me about all this. One of the key criticisms we hear about you know, the dangers, fears, and unacceptability of certain substances can be found in the very adjectives we attach to them. And a couple of those adjectives are mind-altering and mood-altering substances. And, uh, you know, from a drug usage perspective, I think there's a significant distinction to be made between these two terms, which I shall define for my own uh, purposes and demonstration and uh, distinctions as the following. I would define a mind-altering drug, I mean, everything alters the mind in that sense, but are those that affect perception and or judgment. And by judgment, I do include moral and ethical judgment. This can be to the good or to the bad. Some drugs will heighten and sharpen perception and judgment. That's the problem we have in the sports uh, field, you know, the uh, people having apparently an unfair advantage over the other person by taking some kind of drug. While other drugs, or the same drugs in different doses, can do the exact opposite. Now, mood-altering drugs are those that do not particularly affect perception or judgment in any significant way. They mostly relax the user, reduce anxiety, and otherwise uh, make the person feel just for, sort of pleasant, but not change his view of life, not change his judgment in terms of uh, what he might or might not find acceptable under other circumstances. And that's certainly one of the situations, I would say marijuana fits into that, sit into that uh, category. Although, if you really smoke too much, I mean, any of these things can be both. They can be both categories, any drug. And with that in mind, strangely enough, you know, here, here at the university we get the Gazette, and uh, that is Canada's only daily university newspaper, by the way, published here at Western University. And there was an article in uh, one of the copies I picked up, must have been just last week or so, uh, headed, Why Do Smokers Smoke? The Bad Habit has a variety of appeals, and it was written by Cameron Smith of the Gazette. And he asks, how does a smoker start smoking, and why do they continue? At the end of the day, a huge factor that keeps smokers smoking is the feeling cigarettes provide them. Not only is the buzz notoriously addictively pleasant, the excuse of stepping out of the daily grind for a few minutes lends smoking a less tangible appeal. Quote, it's a stress reliever. Well-being can be defined as a fulfillment of desires. I have a strong desire to smoke and I fulfill that desire multiple times a, a day, explains fifth-year philosophy student Matt Wilkings. However, Wilkings is far from, far from blinded by his so-called desire. I originally appreciated this fulfillment of desire. It made me feel better, but now it's something I have to do, he says. Such is the nature of all addictions. I'm told about the health detriments on a daily basis, Wilkins says. You become so aware of them. You're told about them so many times, you just become desensitized to it. Somebody tells you it's bad for you, and you just say, Oh, I know, but it's not something you think about when you start smoking, end quote. And I thought, well, that was a very interesting and honest assessment of the situation. But of course, it is something you think about when you start smoking, when you continue smoking, and when you will continue smoking. Matt didn't stop thinking about it. What he did was he made a choice. In the full light of knowledge, which he both acknowledges and accepts, 
by his comments, by his admitting to them. And when he finally does choose, if he ever does, to stop smoking, he will. I've seen it work over and over again. Uh, I, I guess my mother is the most immediate example in my life. She was a heavy smoker till she was, oh, well into her 30s, I think, and then she just quit. And now she's 85, and, uh, you know, we got through those first few tough years. <laughs> and, uh, but in any case, as Cameron Smith, the writer of the article, observes, Wilkins is far from blinded by his desire, and that's completely true. In fact, everything else Matt Wilkins has, uh, had said in that article was, was com completely right. Such is the nature of all addictions. And this is where I come back to the comment we were making earlier. Is it a disease? I don't think so. I think the be a better way to define drug addiction is as a condition of the human body combined with a certain level of choice. It's not a disease in the, in the, in, in the broader sense of the term. Ontario Human Rights Commissions, amazingly, are beginning to treat alcoholism as a disease and a handicap so that they can get benefits to those people. They're even going to be adding gambling addiction to the list, from what I hear. So you can see where that's going. Now, let's put tobacco behind us for a moment and look at the next three major drugs that seem to be part of the Ford story, and the larger picture for that matter. And let's put them in this order, the hierarchy of legal and social acceptability. And these would be the three. One, alcohol. Two, cannabis. Three, cocaine. Now, given the terms I just developed, I would say alcohol is potentially the most powerful of the three, especially when consumed in excess. It is both mind-altering and mood-altering. And, and more mind-altering as you get towards the, the excess, excessive use. Cannabis, of the three, is demonstrably the least powerful of the three drugs, more mood-altering than mind-altering. Three, cocaine, or crack cocaine, in effect and power, is somewhere between the other two, stronger than cannabis, I've got to assume, and is both mind-altering and mood-altering, again, on par with alcohol, depending on the dose. But here's the real reason I've placed those drugs in that order. Alcohol, number one, is legal to possess and to consume, but not to trade being monopolized in Ontario by the LCBO and other trade barriers to an open market as exists outside the province. Cannabis, number two, well, it's a little tricky. This one's a little semi-legal to possess and consume, but not for everyone, but not to trade. Either way, being prohibited entirely for certain purposes and now being monopolized and controlled by the coming establishment of government-provided medical cannabis clinics and things like that. And of course, Finally, crack cocaine, number three, is illegal to possess and trade for everybody, but not to consume, which is why no one gets busted for having admitted to use as such. All, this is all fuzzy legal territory. And I was very impressed with my operator here, Ed, who pointed this point out right at the beginning of the show, because very few people uh, understand that distinction. And that's why whenever you hear somebody admit to, quote, using a drug, uh, the police can't do anything about it, because there's no law against that. And that what this proves is my next point, that none of these laws, restrictions, or prohibitions on any of the above substances actually came into being, first of all, this is a fact, with the thought of any health concerns. They've all been justified uh, on the grounds, uh, you know, they, they get justified on health concerns once they're in place, but none were specifically created for that purpose. And they're all created to basically control the trade in the drugs. So... You can see the world we're living in. Talk about a screwed up world we live in when it comes to drugs. We are a drug culture in the most confused and terrible sense of the term. In the midst of all this prohibition, uh, 
We now have a growing number of coroner drug clinics and dispensary for addicts being placed all around various communities at taxpayer expense. We don't tell these people to quit their jobs. We're actually subsidizing them. We've got politicians from the U.S. president on down. You know, I could have spent the whole show just listing all the people who used drugs in the past, left, right, and center. And uh, But all, that's what all the other people have been doing, so I figured... Um, I'm going to avoid that particular issue, but if you want to know, go ahead. You, I could spend the whole show just on the list. But they've all violated drug prohibitions and yet go unchallenged in any way. We've got human rights commissions declaring drug and gambling addicts to be protected as such by law. And then, of course, we have good old Mark Emery. The so-called Prince of Pot, Mark Emery, as we learned in an October 31st London Free Press article by Jessica Murphy, Parliamentary Bureau, has been seeking a prison transfer from his medium security jail in Mississippi back to Canada to serve out the balance of his drug sentence, as was previously discussed and sort of promised by all the various authorities during the negotiations made to extradite him to the U.S. back uh, almost five years now, in the f- five years ago now in the first place, ostensibly for selling a marijuana seed to a DEA agent south of the border. Now here's what Public Safety Minister Stephen Blainley in responding to the request, wrote, although through his spokesman Jean-Christophe de la Rue in an email, quote, individuals who have been convicted of serious crimes should face the full force of the law. And unlike the opposition parties whose primary focus is the drug trade, our government will continue putting the rights of victims first. Huh? Uh, That could have been a letter written to... Joe Blows in, in some other country. I don't even know what the guy's talking about. That's just too unreal a viewpoint to even address rationally. What victim is that he's talking about? And that's a serious crime, is it? Selling a seed? And we should, full force of law, this is the way the Harper government is thinking? Well, lock the damn country up. Come on. Get out there and start putting us in jail. Every one of us. Anybody who ever admits you should be doing that. You know, in another London Free Press article, November 2nd, Brian Weiss, QMI, reports out of Calgary that, quote, Justin Trudeau is only fit to win Canadian Idol and not the next election, according to Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Could Justin Trudeau run the economy? In 2015, we're not choosing the winner of Canadian Idol, we're choosing someone to lead our economy, he said. The only trade policy Justin Trudeau's been working on is the marijuana trade, end quote. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> It's so funny, I almost forgot to laugh. And isn't that just a powerful argument on Harper's part? Oh, my. Uh, You know, I don't think Harper's playing a winning card on this one. I I heard another ad this morning. It's just embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I think the federal conservatives are shooting themselves in the foot with this approach and with this issue. You know, Ford's substance abuse problem is uh, drug-oriented. The other politician's substance abuse problems is our tax dollars and our trust with regard to our own interests. That's what they're abusing constantly. And speaking of habits, we all have bad habits, too. One that needs to be broken is the voting habit, because we keep voting for the same people doing the same things. And, you know, here we are in a country almost built by alcoholics and drug addicts. You can ask John A. MacDonald if he were around. And check out Sun TV's media party bias rant by Ezra Levant, as I mentioned before. And, I mean, let's face it, drug prohibition is about trade and possession. It's not about drugs, it's not about use, it's not about anything else. And this is the setting in which all of this nonsense has been set. That's, That's the canvas. That's the canvas on which everything happens. And 
let us not never forget that those in the drug trade, a.k.a. the godfather and that type, are most in favor of drug prohibition. Why would they want to pay taxes on income that they don't have to declare the way it is now? And as far as putting people in jail for being addicted and things like that, I mean, is that some kind of hunger game? Because that's, that's like, you know, putting someone in jail for being hungry, because that's pretty well where an addict is at. And if you want to be literal about it, I guess you could say we're all addicted to food. Look at what happens to people in the third world when they, when they go through withdrawal from not having food. Sounds like, looks like a pretty serious addiction, doesn't it? And yet we can survive with these addictions, these habits that we must engage in in order to survive or to make ourselves feel better. And I think the big problem we have wrapping our heads around, the bottom line here, honest people can be drug addicts. Dishonest people can be as drug-free as anybody. And that's a hard one to wrap our heads around. So let me say it loud and clear and consider this an eternal principle. Honest and law-abiding and good people can be drug addicts or alcoholics. You might not even know they're in your neighborhood. Dishonest and law-breaking and bad people can be drug-free. And of course, vice versa. Except we only talk about the versa, never the vice. And I guess that's where we're at with this situation. And this is the backdrop against which uh, people are wrestling with a number of issues, including the issue of Ford, quote-unquote, lying. And that was the next issue I want to deal with. Going to hear next on uh, this next audio bite from Joe Warmington, who is one of the more objective reporters on this issue. He, he, he looked really disappointed. This was actually recorded uh, and aired on Sun TV on David Aiken's show on the night of uh, Ford's admission to using crack cocaine. And it was very clear that, Dave, or that Joe Warmington was really upset by it, perhaps even shocked that it actually happened. But uh, he's been on the right side of this from the beginning. I mean, he's been looking at it and only accepting what evidence he's had. And because you accept evidence and go with the truth of something you understand and find out later that some fact is different than you understood, that does not in any way impinge upon your judgment. In fact, it makes your judgment all the more accurate and reliable because then we know you're, you're dealing with facts. But here's that interview and we'll continue after this. So, so let's get into what this all means. Uh, what's going on inside the Ford Nation tonight? Toronto Sun columnist Joe Warmington has been chronicling Ford Nation uh, ever since we heard that Rob, F Rob Ford was going to become mayor. Um, First of all, Joe, I, I'm keen to get your thoughts first of all. I know you spoke to the mayor today after that first admission, mid-morning, that he'd smoked crack cocaine. And we just saw that incredibly emotional press conference that he gave live here. What did you think? Well, I mean, I'm still kind of assessing it. You know, it's one of these things, David, that uh, I didn't see coming today. I figured it was going to come sooner or later. And I apologize. I've got my Blackberry here. I'm actually well, expecting, that's okay. I'm expecting a call from the mayor. And if I get well, you it, you ditch you know, us if the mayor calls. Yeah, we'll, that's we'll no bring problem. it live. I tried that as well on uh, Jerry Agar's show a minute ago, so it could come in, and that's why I've got it. I apologize sure, to the no viewers problem. and producers and stuff. But uh, anyway, uh, the reality is uh, that uh, Mayor Ford is taking a big gamble here today, a very big gamble. He was actually winning uh, today in a weird way uh, because his brother was going after the chief of police and his connections with a board member and their fishing trip and asking really tough questions and obviously the you know the, the idea was to go down that road today so when he shocked everybody with uh, what he did uh, you know I just didn't uh, I mean I, I as I said I I can see why he did it but 
this was a flyer, David. Like, this is a risk, because if he has been caught, if there's other video or even surveillance of him going into a crack house more than once, then, you know, again, uh, it's, it's on every level, it's a huge, huge risk. And uh, I don't know exactly why he did it, but we'll see if it works. It's certainly brazen. Yeah, and, uh, Joe, let me, let me back up a bit, because there were sort of three, really, three big bombs in this story today. And you touched on the very first one. When I saw that, I said, wow, that's going to be the, all the headlines we'll get today, was Doug Ford saying that, no, no, the mayor shouldn't step down. It should be the chief of police, Bill Blair, that ought to step down. And I think that that was a big enough news headline of itself. And Give that was out of the story that, yeah. you know, I alluded to with you, you yesterday. You were talking, exactly, to Ujil Dessange, a former Attorney General of Canada, to uh, Bob Runciman, former Attorney General of Ontario. They both found Blair's behavior offside. Yeah, they did, and they're looking for someone to, to discuss it. And Chief, uh, or uh, Mayor Rob Ford took uh, Chief Blair right off the hook on this thing. And so, you know, again, he's just tired, I guess, and he figures that it'll go away and it'll be almost like, you know, remember, he's the baby of this sort of interesting family that came from nothing that, that is done very well. And little Robbie will be okay in the thing and mama and the brothers mm -hmm. will rally around him. And that's the problem, that they're not there. We're dealing with, obviously, a very, very bloodthirsty council uh, and with all kinds of reasons to be that way. And the media is relentless all the time. Let me challenge you a little bit on that one, a bloodthirsty counsel. If I'm a counselor, I don't care if Rob Ford was my best friend. As he said, as Rob admitted, he lied to his own brother. Yeah. And no, if he I lied to his own brother, he lied to me, a city counselor. He lied to the people of Toronto. And I think it's that betrayal more than the behavior, perhaps, yeah. at the fault of it, that's really got a lot of people going, you can't be my mayor if I can't trust you. Right, and that's the problem he has. And, and you know, what, what is true, what isn't true? I mean, no one knows. Uh, and so, you know, I don't know where it goes. I mean, everybody wants to know what's this mean. I think the, I guess the big thing is, does he hang on to his core of, it seems around 33%, according to the poll you showed yesterday. And so if he hangs on to that, then he's a factor in the next election. And uh, they don't seem to have any way of getting him to, uh, to leave or kick him out. No. And they have the votes, they can censure him, they can also uh, work around him, and that democracy doesn't say they can't do that. In a strange way, uh, David, he could end up as a mayor, but also be in opposition. You know what I mean? Where he's the mayor. And but council's against him. Yeah. The council's against him, they're spending money, and he's back to his old comfortable ground of calling them out for that. So it's weird how things come full circle. Let, let me ask you one question, Joe, because you and I have been on some stories together over the years, and, and of course I've watched you writing in the, in the Sun for a long time, and you, you, your great strength is you often think, think outside the, the media box, if you will. You're not part of the same old group thinking in the scrum. If you get Mayor Ford on the phone in the next few minutes or later tonight, what, what, what's on your mind? What do you want to hear from well, the mayor that you haven't heard already? You know, I, I, I guess the, the thing that I'm going to focus on is the lying. And I don't, I've never heard of anybody because I'm a street reporter. And you're right, I'm not part of the pack and I don't try to be. And I don't care about, uh, you know, fancy writing or, or a kissing ass. I just try to take each story and t tell it as close as I can to where it is. And I do what I have to do to do that. Don't pile on people. I don't pick on people. Don't make fun of their weight. Um, you know, I don't have a right or left point of view on every, every time anyway. Sometimes I do, but sometimes I don't. And so that's what I try to do here. Uh, so I want to talk to him and say, why the hell should we support you? 
And if I get him on the phone here while we're on the show, then you can ask him yourself. But uh, you know what? Uh, he's, he really doesn't, uh, I mean, he's going to have to do more talking than he did here today. That's for sure. Joe Warmington, Toronto Sun columnist. Boy, I can't wait to read your column tomorrow. I, I don't have any clue what to write tomorrow. Yeah, what a dilemma he was faced with. And, you know, he wasn't the only one saying things like that. It's a huge deceit, said Stephen Ledrew of CP24, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. All the lie, the lie, the lie. You know what the lie is? The lie is the laws we're living with in the first place. I do not consider it a lie. I, I consider it a refusal to incriminate oneself something that shouldn't be illegal in the first place. That's a totally different issue. No individual, you, I, a mayor, anyone, should be expected to incriminate themselves, uh, or what is called so-called lying to protect your own privacy or your personal dignity is an entirely different matter from lying to steal from others, to misrepresent them, you know, to, through fraud or, or to do them purposeful harm. That's a totally different thing. If that was the kind of lying we were talking about, I wouldn't be sitting here defending anybody. I'm not here defending Ford as an even, even as an individual in terms of his behavior, but what really bothers me is what's at stake in all of this. I mean, if Ford had not admitted to his crack use, we'd all still be sitting here speculating about it. So, good for him. But well, look what happens again. Another politician now being punished by us for telling the truth. He came out and told the truth. Is it any wonder that truth is such a rare commodity among politicians? They know we don't want the truth. You know, after his confession to using crack cocaine to the public, I didn't hear anybody say or suggest, well, gee, thank you, Rob, for finally clearing the matter up. Now everything makes sense and we can move on. You know, that's where it's at. And, and, of course, he's caught in the same situation. He's lying because he's on that same canvas. He knows it's illegal to use, you know, coke and all that stuff. So the difference between lying to protect oneself against an injustice versus lying to harm others, I think, is basically the difference between right and wrong and certainly between rationality and irrationality. I think it's irrational to sacrifice yourself to your enemies. And if there is a real tragedy in all of this, I would say it lies less in Rob Ford than with we the people. Ain't democracy greater what's left of it? The left has made Ford so toxic so as to get the right to turn against him. I just heard uh, Ed there cheering on. Yay, the right against the right. You like that, don't you, don't you, Ed? The left-wing communists Clayton Ruby and the liberals are behind all of these attacks on Ford, or certainly a lot of them. So it's this big sea of confluence of interests and all, that are all competing to defeat the public interest on whose true side only Rob Ford seems to presently sit. So let's hope we'll still be living in a democracy next week. And that's when you can join us again. And we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see ya. Fade into color, color into black and white, under the bedclothes. Everything will be all right. But, uh, Mr. Mayor, while you're still able to speak, um, <laughs> can you tell us, wh what are you thinking? We I made mistakes. Okay, like, where do I begin? <laughs> I find in situations like these, it's, it's best to begin with the crack smoking. <laughs> but, of course, he did not. I shouldn't have got hammered down at the Danforth. If you're going to have a couple of drinks, you stay at home, and that's it. You don't make a, 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 a public spectacle of yourself. 
One, I would very much like to know what happened down at the Danforth. <laughs> and two, you realize uh, from now on, I'm just gonna get up at home? <laughs> May not be the answer to either your substance abuse problems or your job as the guy who runs Toronto.